0: Welcome to this week's session in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Michael, we do these programs in batches. Yes. So when we get together, we do a whole bunch
1: of them. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it has its own dynamic, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Um, face get, to face. Face to face. Um, I won't say who. They're, they're members of the team who get a little silly sometimes, especially <laughs> when they get tired. I'm not going to say who that is. Okay. But uh, it's me. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we really enjoy this. I mean, I just – I flew up this morning, got up at 4 and yeah. flew up here from from Nashville. I'm you here. come meet me in Chicago.
0: I'm in Chicago. I used to spend years meeting you in Franklin, Tennessee. That's right. So I think it's
1: only – turnabout's fair play. You know, well, so. I don't think so. <laughs> but sweet old Joe Carlson's there, picked me up at the airport, and um, – and then we we, uh, we come into this little studio, and we knock these things out.
0: Well, this is the first in a batch of programs, uh-huh. so it's good to see you again. Nice I know to see you. You, you. You've spent a whole month in Israel since I saw you yeah, last. Yeah, I'm, re-
1: I'm still recovering from I know Israel. that
0: was a, a, it was a great time, and yet a was, tiring time, I'd imagine. It,
1: it was. We did three 10-day trips back-to-back. Wow, wow. And that I think maybe that was a little too
0: much. Hey, coming up later, we're going to talk with Trevin Wax of uh, LifeWay. Yes. You've worked with Trevin.
1: It, Trevin is, is in, in a— it's hard to define. He's kind of my boss. Uh, someone else was over the CSB. The I thought that Christian was Susan, Standard. but go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah, that's in another realm. But uh, when we were working on the Christian Standard Bible on that translation, and I, they hired me, someone else hired me, okay, to be the, the right. Uh, stylist, right? And then 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 that guy uh, retired, and then Trevin. W- whether he wanted me or not, he had me and on his team. With Let's you, say it that yeah. way. <laughs> okay. Well,
0: we'll ask him that question. Okay. When we have him on in the second half of our conversation here today, and you're going to teach from the book of Luke, the uniqueness of Luke. Yes. Yeah. In just a moment, we'll get started with that. Hey, recently we posted on Facebook, and I hope anyone listening now is following us on Facebook, Michael Card Music is a great place uh, to go on Facebook but we posted the question what songs would you like to hear featured in a live performance and in, in the studio with Michael Card mm-hmm. we got some interesting responses
1: we did and i was i was uh, surprised at how many people responded and there there wasn't one consistent song they asked for which is what i think i was sort of hoping for <laughs> but we got a whole list of uh, yeah. of requests. Well, so. here's
0: Steve, who said, my first CD purchase was everything I could get a hold of at a DC concert. I'm paraphrasing. He said, been adding to it ever since. So he has quite a library of your music.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Steve. Uh,
0: love talking to you at uh, Sandy Cove. Blessings on your ministry, Michael, says Steve. So Good thank brother. you, Steve. Missy says, what music? All of it. I'm reading through the <laughs> list, and the songs just run through my head. I've been truly blessed by your music through the years. I've grown up listening to you, and listening to the songs now bring so much comfort. I find myself often humming one of your songs. Mm. My favorites would have to be Jubilee. It's okay. a good one. Yeah, Join the Journey. Okay. Another. These are all good. Come to the table. That's what faith must be. Yeah. Boy, she's she's got it nailed here.
1: And those are all ones I can actually play. So <laughs> how much how much better? <laughs> okay. Well, Mike,
0: we're going to hear you teach from the book of Luke. We recorded this at a biblical imagination conference in New Hampshire Mm -hmm. uh, last year, actually. That's right. We're going to hear that in just a moment after we hear your song, which, by the way, is the top request Ah. of everyone who responded to that uh, question we posted. The song, Joy in the Journey.
2: Love on the way, there is a wonder and wildness to life, and freedom for. To all who've been born of the Spirit And who share incarnation with Him Who belong to eternity Stranded in time And weary of struggling with sin
1: is two volumes. Luke Acts is one book. It was written to Theophilus. We don't know who he was. Let me tell you who we think he might have been. Let me give you the best, the best guess that we have, at least the most interesting guess, about why Luke was written. But we think that Luke Acts is a book that was written uh, as a cover letter for a collection of Paul's letters that were submitted at his trial. And we think Theophilus may have been one of the officials, because most excellent is a title. He's an equestrian uh, in the equestrian class uh, in Roman society. We think he may have had some responsibility in the, in the trial. There is an emphasis on the innocence of Jesus, in Luke, in, especially in Luke. And in Luke Acts, there is an emphasis on the fact that, that the Christian movement is no threat to Rome. Okay, If you read that, especially during the, around the, the trials of Jesus... It's like everybody keeps insisting he's innocent. It's bizarre. Even Pilate is saying he's, he's insisting he's innocent. And after a while you go, okay, Luke, yeah, I got it. No, Luke says, no, you don't, you don't got it. You've got to understand uh, the, the innocence of Jesus. He writes around 68, probably I would think a little before 68, because the, 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 the fire in Rome is 64, and Paul's trial... Is associated with, he gets caught up in the persecution after the fire. So, But who is Luke? Now we know a lot about Luke. Uh, we know he's a companion of Paul. And uh, you got the numbers there. He wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did. He writes 28% of the New Testament. Yay, Luke. Um, we know that he's a doctor. Paul refers to him as a doctor. And that's there in Colossians. Um, we know from 2 Timothy 4 that he was faithful, because when everyone else left, Luke is still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know he's not an eyewitness. He tells us he, you know, he's not an eyewitness. What, but what does that mean? Okay, there's a fact, not an eyewitness. What does it mean? What it means is he's got to interview eyewitnesses. And it means he, with the help, with the help of the Holy Spirit, he chooses what stories to use and what stories not to use. Okay? Uh, and one of the fun things you're doing when you read Luke is try to figure out where he got it from. Who was his eyewitness? And when you read the Nativity sections of Luke, it's Mary. Mm-hmm. Right? He knows, you know, she, she pondered these things and she treasured them in her heart. He knows what Mary's thinking and feeling. How do you think he knows that? He talked to Mary. How cool is that? Right? Very cool. Yeah. And, and that we can actually put that together. Uh, Luke, we think, wrote his gospel in Ephesus. Who's in Ephesus? John. Who's living with John? Mary. So it all works. It all works. Here's, here's the big piece uh, of his identity, and, and I'm convinced that he, he's a slave. He's a slave. Now, people say, oh, no, he's a freedman. That's my, my note says probably a freedman. A freedman doesn't mean a, doesn't mean a free man. There's still an obligation. Even after a slave has been freed in the first century, there's still an obligation that exists between the master and the slave. So it's just not that simple. So I still, I, I like to say, no, Luke is a slave. How do I know that? Two points. First of all, he's a doctor. Most doctors in the first century are slaves. See again, we're at a disadvantage in America. to Understand the culture. A uh, slave culture does something very different uh, to the society. I mean, I'm, I'm from the South. There was a slave culture in my where I lived in the South, right? And what, one thing a slave culture does, it doesn't make you aspire to anything, right? When you're if you're a young man as a slave, a free young man in slave culture, you don't aspire to be a doctor or a lawyer. You aspire to do nothing. Because that's what a slave culture does for you. So we in the South we have what was called the planter elite. Who were those guys? They're a bunch of lazy guys who did nothing. And, you know, played cards and went to parties all the time. And in Rome, you see very much the same mentality. Okay, so the doctors and the lawyers and certainly the the great teachers, the best teachers in the first century, they're all slaves. Because that's what a slave does. So. Uh, and we, uh, another little piece of information is, is at one point the, the, the medical college, which was in Pergamum, uh, the, Domitian, who was the emperor at this point, he closed the medical school to slaves because too many slaves were becoming doctors. So there's some good evidence for this. Okay? So no more slaves can be done, come doctors, Domitian says, uh, because so many of them were becoming. And the, here's the other reason I believe he was a, he was a slave. He has a slave's name. And this is very interesting. Okay, here's your big word for the day. Why use a little word that everyone can understand when you can use a big word that nobody understands? Hypochorism is the word. If you want to impress your friends, say, Luke, oh, that's a hypocoratic name. Everyone knows that. It just, it just means nickname. Okay, so God forbid if I was a slave owner in the first century, my name's Michael. What would I name my slave? Mike. Hear it? Luke, Mike, Demas. Demas is a hypochorism for Demetrius. Demas is a slave. They have a shortened form of their master's name. Luke is a hypochorism for Lucian. And Paul has a relative named Lucian. This makes the scholars' heads explode, but I'm just a banjo player, so I can do this. (laughs) I'm absolutely convinced, because I really wanted to be this way, that Lucian, Paul's relative, who he refers to twice, by the way. Uh, Paul's relative, Lucian, purchases Luke and, get, and gives him the name Luke, gives him a hypochorism of his name, and gives him to Paul to travel with him to take care of him on the road. That is, and what's my academic reason for that? I really want it to be true, because I think it's a cool idea. <laughs> but I will, I will not be dogmatic about that. I will not be dogmatic about what the Bible is not dogmatic about. You'll never catch me doing that. What does that mean? What does that mean uh, that he's a doctor? What does that mean that he is a slave? That's my new question. I know to ask that now.
2: Well, it, w-
1: being a doctor, what it, what it means is he, um, his vocabulary is very much medical vocabulary. He uses medical words when he doesn't need medical words. One of my, my, my father was a doctor. And one of my uh, earliest memories of my dad, he was hanging a picture in our house. He was trying to drive a nail into the drywall with a with his reflex hammer. (laughs) The hammer that he hit you on the knee with. Well, okay, why why is that? Why did my dad do that? Because that's the only hammer he had. And if you understand that, you understand doctors. Okay? And and you want doctors to be that way. Right? You want my dad was like this, he was a cardiologist. Okay, my dad was like this. He didn't have hobbies. You don't want your doctor to have a hobby. You want what's wrong with you to be his hobby, right? At least good doctors are that way, okay? And, uh, and that's Luke. So, so Zachariah will ask for a, a, a pad to write down, you know, his name is John because he can't talk anymore. It's the technical word for a medical prescription tablet. John the Baptist baptizes for the remission of sin, and it's the same word we use for the remission of cancer. See, he doesn't need that word. That's not really the best word, I guess. But, I mean, for him it's the best word, and it's the Bible, and the Bible's perfect. But anyway, Malchus. Luke lets us know that when Peter chops off Malchus's ear, it's not his, it's not his ear. It's his earlobe. It's his little ear. What does that mean? Okay? What does that mean? Well, it, first of all, it means Peter's not aiming for his ear. He's going to cut his head off. Right? And poor old Malchus turns his head at the last minute and just loses his ear lobe. Thank you, Luke. What about the slave business? The fact that he's a slave? I got interested in slavery about 10 years ago because in the Bible, in the New Testament, especially, everyone identifies himself as a slave. I, Paul, a slave to Christ, I Peter, a slave to Christ. I you know, and Jesus is a slave, right? Philippians 2, 6 through 11, he comes in the form of a doulos, slave. So I thought, well, I need to understand slavery better. And there are no slave narratives from the first century, but there are some beautiful slave narratives from the 18th, 19th century. I, re- I read a number of slave narratives. And, but one of the slave narratives uh, is this after the Civil War. A slave comes back to his, the, man, the plantation where he used to be a slave, and he's riding a horse and his old, you know, the person who used to own him is standing on the, the ground. And the slave made this statement. He said, he looks at the master and he smiles. He says, the bottom rail's on top now. is that beautiful? Bottom rail's on top now. That's the key to the gospel of Luke. I'm convinced. Because this is how Luke does it. John shows Jesus talking for a long time with one person who doesn't understand him. Luke pairs people. He pairs someone who should understand Jesus and never does, and it's always a religious man. Mm-hmm. It's a Pharisee, usually. And he compares that <clears throat> almost always with a woman who in the first century shouldn't understand anything because they're very marginalized, mm-hmm. but always understands. In, in Luke, the bottom rail is on the top, right? Tax collector and a Pharisee. Who gets it? Yes. Tax collector. Who doesn't get it? Pharisee. And that's only in Luke. So these are stories that are only in Luke. Again, we're listening to what's unique, right? And uh, and that and, and we're going to look at those. Let's let's uh, let's talk about the very first one because the very first one I think is is one of the best examples, and that's Zachariah and uh, and Mary. Um, who's Zachariah? He's a priest, right? Uh, and he's there. There are priests who live in Jerusalem, and who mostly Sadducees, who are very wealthy and and kind of control the that there's, a, the, the, there's a, a temple power base and a synagogue power base. That's part of the fragmentation of Judaism in Jesus' day. Judaism is not one thing in Jesus' day. We think it is, but it's not. Trust me, as is Isaiah Gaffney, a Jewish scholar, says, there, aren't, there isn't Judaism in the first century. He says, there are Judaism's. And you know this already from reading the gospel because the gospels are very accurate about this. So we got Sadducees, we got the temple, that's a power base. And it's messed up, right? That's one reason Jesus tears it up. The, The Holy of Holies in Jesus' day, it's an empty room. There's no Ark of the Covenant there. There's no presence of God in there. It left in the book of Ezekiel, okay? It's this big, beautiful Herodian temple that's empty and it's not happening there. Now Jesus still loves the temple. He loves the idea of the temple, calls it his father's house so don't get me wrong. But that's part of the fragmentation. And then, then we have the synagogue power base which is the Pharisees. And they don't agree on anything either. So it's all, it's all fragmented. So Zechariah is what we would refer to as kind of as a, as a country priest. He's a Levite who comes in from the country uh, and they draw lots to see what, what they're going to get to do. And what he's doing, he's offering a, a incense at the, on the altar, which symbolizes prayer. It's the only time he's going to do it in his life. This is the biggest day of his life. It's the biggest day of his life, okay? So Zechariah, a priest in the holy place, just there's only a curtain between him and the Holy of Holies. He's right in front of that curtain, okay? Uh, and who's he talking to in the temple? Gabriel. Okay. Should he get it? A priest in the holy place? Talking to Gabriel? He should get it. Does he get it? No. How can I be sure of this? See, he ought not to have said that. Things were going so well up to that point. Right? How can I be sure of this? And I love Gabriel. I can hear the tone of his voice. He goes, I'm Gabriel. Dude. Right? I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to give you this message because you don't believe, you know. He strikes it. He can't speak. Okay. Next scene uh, Mary cuts to Mary. Who is Mary? Mary's probably 14, 15 years old, very young. Okay. Where is Mary? Nazareth. Nazareth is uh, mud huts built over holes in the ground. Okay. The, the whole city of Nazareth is not as big, certainly, as the property this church is sitting on. It's, oh, it's tiny, and, and I've been there. I go there every, you know, every year. In fact, the chief archaeologist uh, kind of has become our, the friend of our, a friend of our group. So it's, it's limestone that's got uh, caves that have sort of washed out that with huts built on top of it. So here's Mary, a woman, and again, I don't need to make a big point of this because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but women are very marginalized in Jesus' day, okay? Better that the law be burned than given to a woman. That's what's taught in Jesus' day. A man does not speak to his own wife in public in Jesus' world, okay? We know the disciples come up, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. What does it say? The disciples were surprised to find him talking to a woman, not talking to a Samaritan, Right? So, so Jesus doesn't observe those kinds of things. He's marvelous openness to women, very close friendships with, uh, with women, has a group of women that travel with him and support the ministry. Okay, so we're, oh, so, so Mary, she's from Nazareth, and Gabriel and Gabriel again comes to, comes to her, and Gabriel comes to her with a much more unbelievable message. Right? When he tells Zechariah, there is some basis in biology. Right, Because the angel says, you're going to go home, and Elizabeth's going to have your son. So, I mean, I don't have to go into the details, right? We all understand what I'm talking about. Okay. When he tells Mary, virgin conception. I don't know why we call it virgin birth. Virgin conception, right? And what does Mary do? Her immediate response is, and I'll give it to you more literally, behold the slave of the master. That's what she says. The Greek word that's used is the word dulane, which is the female form of the word dulos, which is the word for slave. Mary's identity is a slave identity. She, goes, she used the word dulane, and she used the word kurios, and we usually translate that lord, but farther back, that word meant owner. So I am, I am the slave of the one who owns me, so yeah, yeah, you can use my body. I'm your slave. So here we have a a very religious man in the temple who doesn't get it, and we've got this woman in Nazareth, and she totally gets it. And Luke will do that again and again and again and again. How do you capture the accents
2: of angels? How do you put words to the taste of their light you cannot describe how their words burn right through you how you became dizzy
1: with heart-pounding fright in the midst of your fear how they sang you a song to the glory
2: of God the Most High how all of the sudden,
1: that when they departed, that they left a hole in the sky. How do you worship a king in a cattle trough when you cannot bow? any lower than he and what kind of gifts to give someone with nothing
2: in humiliating humility wrapped up in rags
1: what a heartbreaking sign yet on his sweet face what delight the darkness that prowls here cannot comprehend this impossibly bright point of light. So everyone listened in awe and amazement to all we'd been told about this
2: beautiful boy. But Mary, his mother, she wordlessly wondered and pondered her treasure of joy.
1: conceive how a Savior was born
2: in a place only fit for the cattle to feed. His poverty made Him our perfect provision,
1: the one hope for our every need,
2: the one hope for our every need.
0: Segment from the Biblical Imagination Conference, as recorded in Manchester, New Hampshire. I, you know, I don't recall hearing that song before, Mike. Uh, oh,
1: really? Yeah. Well, it's 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 a relatively old song. It's king in a cattle trough. It's been around for a while. It's it's it tries to capture th- th- this disconnect in Luke. You know, here you have a king, <laughs> and where is he sleeping? Yeah. He's sleeping in a cattle trough. Uh, you know, I think that's that was part of the the story of Jesus that really captured Luke's imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, that and this this idea that I talked about earlier, that there were people who should have understood Jesus that didn't, and lots of people who really had no reason to understand Jesus but did. Mm-hmm. We're going to be uh, welcoming
0: a guest in the second half of our program. But before we get there, um, tell us how we can pray for you. It's always a busy season for you. It doesn't seem to be a down season at all.
2: But... Well, uh, and
1: over this the the course of a whole year, things are beginning to slow down. Okay, and that's and I think there's a natural sort of a curve that any sort of ministry has. Um, Does that
0: equate rest for you?
1: Well, here here's the thing. You, you know, doing fewer concerts, but getting older at the same time, <laughs> so I'm just as tired as I was. Before. I don't know if you can identify with that at all. You know, I can identify. <laughs> <laughs> well, we used to do you know oh you know hundred hundred twenty concerts a year. Maybe I do be 20 or 30, 30 or 40 anyway. But yeah, the older you get, it's it's as hard to do 30 as it used to be to do 100. So my prayer request is for strength. Uh, That's the big thing. The concerts are energizing. I still love doing it. Well, we will
0: continue to pray for you, Michael, and for those who hear the songs and the teaching. We're always glad to hear your reactions to our program. You can send your comments or song requests to us through our website, Go to michaelcard.com and scroll down to find contact. We look forward to reading what you post to michaelcard.com. And in the weeks ahead, we'll feature more songs requested by listeners. Well, coming up, more music and an insider look at Bible translation as we talk about the Christian Standard Bible with Trevin Wax of Lifeway. That's in just a moment in the studio with Michael Card. join us for a new edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. Michael turns to the book of John to continue our survey of the Gospels. We'll focus on the persistence of doubt in the hearts of the disciples. And then Ken Boa shares a new perspective on the pain we experience. Hear his insights from his new book titled, Shaped by Suffering. The instruments are tuned and the Bible is open. Make sure you join us for this unforgettable session, In the Studio with Michael Card. guests will join us in a moment. Michael, recently you posted a video inviting people to this podcast. Yes. And people responded. And some people have responded. How, how cool that is nice, that? Yeah. It works. Tammy Rieger wrote to us and said, a wonderful podcast. I listen over and over and get more out of it each time. Wow. The music, and then she puts some hearts. She loves the music. <laughs> I've grown spiritually the most from this podcast.
1: Well, here, here's my new realization, Wayne. Uh, I will tell Tammy if it really helped her we had nothing to do with it yeah I understand yeah yep. and, uh, and so that is encouraging if Amen. it really did help her especially to grow spiritually yeah boy praise the Lord for that it's our
0: privilege to be a part of
1: this isn't yeah. it yeah
0: how about singing a song this is a, a studio performance as recorded uh, some time ago yes uh, Shanoa was with us playing violin and
1: my daughter uh, Katie is playing Boron Boron the Irish yeah.
0: drum mm-hmm. the song is called The Book here's Michael Card and then we'll meet our guest today <laughs>
2: of prophets in their fiery words and rhymes. In the pages of the patriarchs we can read on every line of the kindness of commandments and of all he undertook. That before we called he answered us in the pages of the book. It is the door more than ink and cloth and page These line preserved in blood and tears To speak to each new age Come read the very thoughts of God Hear what wisdom has to say For in three thousand years and more It hasn't aged a day And the pages of the book Are turned with trembling awe As we witness wonders there Of the meaning of the book So open up your heart and soul To the call and the command Hold a vast and priceless treasure In the palm of just one hand And no true transformation As you take it up and look the flesh and bone and blood of truth in the pages of the book, and the pages of the book are turned with trembling awe as we witness wonders there that only faithful saw. We go as deep as we can go, look as hard as we can look, but we only scratch the surface of the meaning of the book. As yes, we only scratch. Of the meaning of the book.
0: A recorded live performance in the studio, Michael Card, with Shanoa Alamo. Thank yep. you. Thank you. Boy, Shanoa and that violin, that always grabs me, too. Yeah, I, yeah. I love to hear her play. Yeah. Trevin Wax has joined us. Trevin is Senior VP
1: at Lifeway Publishers. You know Trevin. We do. Trevin is kind of my boss. Um, well, if, if I that's, don't know about that. If that's <laughs> possible. he it, Someone else put a team together for this CSB project, and then they left, and Trevin sort of got me whether he wanted me or not. CSB so, is
0: Christian Standard Bible.
1: Yeah, which is clearly the best translation of the Bible that's ever been done or will ever be done. I use it.
0: I yeah. I do, too. Yeah. And so, Trevin, you were stuck with Mike, in other words, right?
3: Well, I mean, when I found out that Mike was on the CSV team that I was inheriting, it was like, wait, I get to meet Michael Carr? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, but then, but actually, we, actually, Mike and I, we met doing some sessions for the Gospel Project, a curriculum that I helped start at Lifeway mm-hmm. back a, a couple of years actually before CSV. So I was thrilled to know that he was on this team yeah. and that he had been giving his, uh, his wisdom and insight into this project. Yeah. So.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for saying it that way, Trevin. And I appreciate it. I noticed you have this loose leaf Bible that you use. Any connection there?
1: Well, no. That's 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 an old NIV version. But uh, we're talking about uh, putting that on the on the CSB, the, the list, and maybe doing a CSV version. I don't okay. know if anyone remembers the old NIV loose leaf study Bible larger than a regular notebook already with the you know the three holes drilled in it and room for you to make notes and huge margins yeah and and no notes in the bottom and huh. you know nothing to sort of encumber you so well we have trevin right here maybe we could strike a deal right I'm, now I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna send him one and then this because I'd, I'd love to have a csb one to teach out of
3: but we're always looking for more ideas
1: yes yeah tell us about your work and what you do
3: so um, um, I have been at Lifeway uh, almost 10 years now, first came to just start the, the curriculum I mentioned before the Gospel project and then a few years ago transitioned into overseeing the Bible uh, the Bible team and all of the, the Bibles we publish, reference books, commentaries, things like that. That's when I got to work with Mike on um, on the, the Christian standard Bible. And then um, more recently, just the last couple of months, uh, have moved into a role where I'm overseeing um, uh, uh, th- our theological community of practice for all of Lifeway, as well as Lifeway research, our communications internally and externally, and Lifeway leadership, which involves ministry grid training for church leaders. Uh, so I, I get to I, I've, I've been able since I've been here to to put my hand in a lot of things, and I've I've really enjoyed every season here at Lifeway, and I'm enjoying figuring out this new role as well.
1: Now, when you refer to the the theological community, are those people that we resource?
3: So it involves a lot of editors uh, throughout the building who are uh, working on resources, and uh, so it's a it's a it's kind of a lateral leadership thing in which my my team gives oversight but also support to a lot of the editors who are doing. A lot of really good work with different authors and with different. I mean, you think about the uh, the number of words that go out of mm. a of a place like Lifeway, as big mm. as Lifeway is. When you consider commentaries and reference books and short term Bible studies and ongoing Bible studies and uh, books and uh, events that we have and camp experiences and all of this. It, it's it's very important for us to maintain the the trustworthy nature of our of our work to make sure that we are within our doctrinal guidelines that we are faithful to the word um, and it's it's important that we uh, are are all helping hold one another accountable to mm-hmm. that and so I I love to be able to work with fellow theologically minded nerds other people may call <laughs> us but that's that, that's how we how we Try to keep that that value. I can
0: consistent. see why you resonate with Trevin,
1: Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I got another question. So, how how often do you have to? I won't say intercede. I don't even know the right word. How how often do you have to speak up and say you need to think about this again, or you know what I'm you know what I'm getting at?
3: Most of the time, I mean, pretty much. One of the beautiful things here is that everybody. Is, is virtually on the same page when it comes to the majors and when uh-huh. it comes to our doctrinal guidelines. So a lot of this is a hiring, you know, you make sure that the people that you're bringing on really do affirm and stand by the, the doctrinal guidelines that we have. It's generally less about um, uh, people being outside of that those confessional parameters, and it's more about how do we express this in a way, just taking into consideration a lot of conversations that may be going on in the academy oh. or in social media or in other places where where we want to make sure that we're really clear and not being misunderstood. Mm. And so most of the time it's more of a finessing our our language to make sure that we are as clear and helpful as possible mm-hmm. and that we won't we won't get bogged down in distracting things that that are not actually central to the to the doctrinal statements that we that we hold to.
1: Okay, I, I think I understand what you're talking about. I've, I've been reading. Um, I think in the last six months, I've read forty-seven books on the life of Jesus, and I've been amazed at 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 the uh, at the friction, uh, uh, between uh, it, it, within the academy uh, over over issues in the life of Jesus that I thought were pretty, at least for me, were pretty settled. But um, so I I think I think I know exactly what you're talking about. A lot of responsibility. Yeah, I mean,
3: and a and a lot of those conversations are not necessarily some of them bump up against your doctrinal statement, but yeah. other times it's just disagreements between Bible believing Christians on any number of subjects. Yeah. And so how do you treat those respectfully? How do yes. we make sure that, you know, in a in a in a curriculum, for example, on some of the, the contested issues that people debate about, whether it be the end times or Calvinism, Arminianism, things like that, how do we make sure that we're we're presenting something that's respectful of differing views? Um, within within uh, um, uh, you know Bible believing churches, and mm-hmm. that's that's one of the challenges. It's uh. just for us to get together and help each other do that really well.
0: I bet it leads to some interesting discussions.
3: Oh, it does, it does, and I mean Mike knows from being a, when you're on a translation committee. Boy, we've been in some in the room with some interesting discussions. <laughs> that's <with> right <laughs> heated, heated conversations too, because you're talking about the Bible. And you love God's word. You want to be faithful to God's word. That's those are the kind of people I want to, I want to have those conversations with.
1: And I've been amazed in in their CSB meetings how how uh, amicable the discussions are because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't get personal. It really is. How can we best communicate this? How can this best be translated? And uh, and we have. You know, we have a pretty broad range of scholars on the board. So, how do you decide?
0: I, you know, remember the old Jesus seminar? They would take a vote. You're, you're not voting, are you?
1: Occasionally, we vote. vote. Is that right? Yeah,
3: I, yeah. Occasionally, there's a vote. I mean, the, the the committees that are actually there's a lot of issues that are worked together with both the New Testament and the Old Testament specialists. Where the entire committee is together, and and the decisions are made on a broad scale. And in those cases. Um, generally everyone comes to some sort of an agreement. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't recall any vote taking place in any of those um, where the whole committee is together. And, and after that, though, there are uh, the Old Testament specialists to have their meeting and the New Testament specialists have their meeting. And so what in those situations, the vast majority of them, the, the group comes to a consensus there's not a need for a vote. There's yeah. just a mm-hmm. few cases here and there where the committee you know just has differences of opinion and everyone's kind of argued out the point and then it's kind of like okay well let's let's see how you know what, what we're going to do in this particular text hmm. and in every case i think you would agree with us mike i mean there's good reasons for whatever is being oh you know considered Yeah, it's not like it's uh you know there's a heretical view or anything there's good reasons for coming down on either side of a couple of those more more contentious issues.
1: And sometimes that ends up in a, as a footnote. hmm Yeah. Oh,
3: absolutely. It yeah, ends absolutely. up as a footnote. I yeah.
0: see. Okay. Well, Mike, I don't think that you'll entirely agree, but I think you're very accomplished as a theologian, your study. But, I mean, here you are in a room with these people. Are you intimidated by that?
1: I, I do my best to keep my big mouth shut. <laughs> I'm there to learn, and, and I have learned so much from those meetings, and especially and I think Trevin will agree with this. I had no idea the complexity of some of those issues. And uh and we have some brilliant people on the team, that's for sure.
3: We really do. And I, I lean I'm like Mike. I'm kind of in there just thinking, what in the world how in the world am I in this <laughs> meeting? All that Greek and Hebrew I learned at seminary, I guess coming back coming back out. But uh and I'm like Mike, I'm deferring to those yes. who have devoted their whole lives to scholarship in these areas. But Mike has a really important role as a stylist, to help us think about how the text sounds when it's read, uh, the literary qualities and features of it. And, and, I, and I believe that the publisher has an important role at the table as well, because they're constantly reminding the scholars, hey, we this translation is for the Church. We need to, to always be keeping in mind, you know, any tweaks or changes or things that we make are things that are that could be um, challenging for church leaders who, you know, they're reading this um, in pew Bibles and they're preaching from this, or it's on the screen, and and so I, each of us has a different role to play at that table, and it really works well. And it's a beautiful thing when everyone has the same heart, but recognizes they they have a different function, and we and we work together prayerfully to to make decisions that we believe are, are best.
0: Trevin, here's the key question I've ha- I have, and and that is: Does social media make your job easier or harder?
3: Well, in some cases, it's easier because you you can certainly get out the word about a translation a lot easier with social media today than just having to rely on traditional forms of of, of marketing. So, on the one hand, I think when it comes to Bible translation, social media is helpful. Um, on the other hand, it can be harder when people when people want to debate particular renderings of verses and whatnot on social media. A lot of times, people I, I've not I don't think I've ever seen debate. Settled on social media. I've yeah. only seen them stirred yeah. up. So. Yes, yeah. that's exactly
1: right. That's not that's <laughs> not the format to 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 uh, arrive at any sort of a good conclusion. Hmm.
3: That, that's right. Yeah. And so sometimes you just have you can also occasionally have misinformation spread on social media. You know, without a lot of recourse, and you got to people have to discern what they're reading as to whether it's. You know, true or false. Um, But you know, I I haven't seen the CSB get too tangled up in too many big debates Mm -hmm. online, which has been has been nice.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself holding back sometimes? Though you'd like to respond, and you just wouldn't be healthy. Or
3: sometimes it's generally not on um, on on CSB related stuff. For me, social media is is more closely tied to a lot of the other. Uh, things that I do at Lifeway, and so you know, different Lifeway studies, people may have a have a bone to pick with a particular interpretation of a passage that a one author in a curriculum puts forth, or things, and so sometimes people want to debate those things online. And you know, occasionally, if I get tagged in something, I'll weigh in or I'll give some some clarity as to the intention behind something. But um, for the most part, I, I I don't know that a lot gets resolved on on. Social media. I'm not. I'm not sure that social media is is a uh, a happy and joyful place that makes people um, uh, really uh, experience the joy of the Lord all that much. So those of us that are on there have well to said. try to be light in that world. Yeah.
0: So. Well, here's another thing, and it's tied in is the uh, the changes in publishing, Mike. You know the changes in music publishing, of yes. course, and legendary changes, that, yeah. you know, good and bad. But how about in the publishing world for you, Trevin? what? How do you look at all the changes in the last decade or so?
3: Massive changes when it comes to to publishing, um, and it, even in the since I've been at Lifeway, I mean Lifeway. Obviously, we just went through of a, a, a season in which we closed down 170 something stores, and that the retail in general is is um, um, struggling and changing and adapting. A lot of uh, a lot of businesses moving online. There's a lot of different ways that people are connecting rather than than the brick and mortar environment, but. Um, uh, and so publishing has had to adapt uh, to that as well, and then you've got cultural changes and all sorts of theological changes happening to where you know authors in one place one year, five years down the road are in a different place another year, and it, it causes can um, cause uh, conflict and controversy and um, publishing companies that uh, are tied to doctrinal standards and want to to, to remain committed to a confessional Core so that can that can provide its own set of challenges, which I think those are good ones to live with. But all of those things are happening in, in publishing uh, constantly, and they're things that we have to to be aware of and be ready for.
1: Well, my impression is that that books aren't going away, not the way CDs and cassettes and records as a format went away. My impression, I mean, tell me tell me if you if if you see it that way.
3: Well, the actual trends show that ebooks have stalled out. Yes. Um, they they have grown to a certain level and they've sort of plateaued. They're not ebooks are here to stay. They're not going anywhere. but um hardcover books actually um, revenue wise outsold ebooks okay. for the first time in a while a couple of years ago. And so there has been a a um, the, the the book, the printed book, there is a future for print that i I think is is not um I, a lot of the the doom and gloom people from maybe ten years ago yeah. thought that this was all trending in one direction and that we would we would lose printed libraries, printed Bibles and whatnot in the Bible space, what's fascinating you look at some of these these statistics and research projects, and um among millennials um ninety percent of millennials. Uh, prefer the printed Bible, even while, you know, upwards of 70, 80-something percent of millennials say that they also access the Bible on their phone. Mm-hmm. So even though you've got digital access to the Bible skyrocketing, especially among younger people, the preference still when it's, you know, where, what do you prefer is still print. And that may be more true of Bibles than books in general, um, but that's something to take note of that shows some of these things are not replacing. They may actually be driving us back into printed bibles to do more in-depth study and whatnot
1: wow that's interesting well i know that when online i'll be able to uh to, to for example kindle will give you they, they're giving away books all the time uh, nine times out of the ten if it's a book worth having i'll buy a hard copy even if i can get a free copy down yep. that's downloadable i just did that too yeah
3: yeah and you know i've i'm doing that right now i've actually got a couple of um, I'm, I'm reading this trilogy um uh, William Manchester trilogy uh, a biography of Tr- Winston Churchill. Uh, I've actually got on my Kindle that I've downloaded through my library for free, mm-hmm. and I'm getting through. The, I'm almost done with the first volume, and thinking I'm going to have to buy <laughs> the trilogy in print to put in my library when I'm done with this thing because it's just too good for me to just have it on the Kindle. Store. Yeah. So I think a lot of that is is uh, is people are factoring into their decision making as well.
1: So maybe maybe it's the good good books. That this trend is is encouraging to be to be in print, and of course, the the best of all books being the Bible, huh? That that's right, yeah. that's right. Well, Trevin, it's been fun to get acquainted
0: with you. Uh, I know you and Mike know each other, but the rest of us have not had the opportunity. So, thank you for joining us.
3: Well, glad glad to be with you,
0: Trevin Wax is with Lifeway Publishers. Uh, so interesting, Mike, to talk to Trevin about all these trends and all that. So, thanks
1: for giving us some of your time. I know you're busy. <laughs>
3: Glad to. Thank you for having me on.
2: There is a hunger, a longing for bread, and so comes the call for the poor to be fed. More hungry by far are a billion and more. Wait for the bread of the word of the Lord So many books so little time So many hunger so many blind Starving for words they must wait in the night To open a bible and move toward the light There'll come a time prophets would say when the poor of mankind will be withered away a want not for water but a hunger for more a famine for hearing the word of the lord so many books so little time so many hunger so many blind starving for words they must wait in the night
0: You, Michael we started this hour with your song Joy in the journey thanks mm-hmm. to our listeners for asking for that song yeah and then you taught us on the uniqueness of the book of Luke from yes the biblical imagination conference and then we talked with Trevin about yeah. the Bible and publishing the Bible
1: yeah and and even it just it, it just went past really quick but he said the phrase well when people read it in their pew Bibles you, I, I thought okay well that's a publisher right because they're <laughs> you know that's a special Bible that's printed sure. you know that churches put in their pews that kind of thing I mean, I, I, I was a little bit uh, in on the NIV uh, translation because Dr. Lane was part of that. Mm-hmm. So I would hear him talk about it. And, and uh, I don't know if people remember how exciting it was, a, a new book with Jeremiah would come out. We all were so excited and that sort of thing because <laughs> uh, NIV came out a book at a time. But I, I have really been an insider with this CSB thing, and I've seen the scholars, the commitment that the, the, that the scholars have to the point of tears sometimes. Wow. I mean, they are committed to this process, and it is, it's a remarkable translation.
0: And you've really enjoyed the process of being involved.
1: I, I've enjoyed the process of being involved, and I enjoy actually having it. And, and here's, here's, for me, what's so important about having a new translation. If you're like me, Wayne, I think in NIV— especially in the Gospels and in the New Testament in general. I think and I understand
0: why. Yeah. Right.
1: if Especially in the Gospels, if you read me a verse, I can tell you what the next verse is going to say. <laughs> and you should never think you know what the Bible is about to say. Yeah,
0: good thought, Michael. Thank you. Well, if this time together has been valuable for you, Please take a moment and pass along your comments or post a review of this podcast. Pass along the link for this podcast to a friend. Search for Michael Card at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on Spotify. And on our website, you'll find the links for the Trevin Wax and CSB translation. You can access Michael's weekly blog, learn about his conference ministry, and other things at MichaelCard.com. Once again, that's MichaelCard.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we open our session archives and present a classic broadcast recorded at the End Studio. Now for all of us on the team, including producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to In the Studio with Michael Carr.